Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I do have a very... Very strange story, which I was reading about last night because I was kind of, I was going through our list of like stories that we have teed up and I was like, I kind of want to find something that I don't know very much about. I stumbled upon this story and I started to lose my absolute mind because I'd never heard of this. So I'd be shocked if you'd heard of it. But do you know the name Deborah Wolf? Deborah Wolf. Um, no. Yeah. For here, that case, it's. Not super recent. It happened in the 80s. I coincidentally had a teacher named Deborah Wolf, but that's besides the point. So back in the 80s, it's kind of difficult to make sense of these circumstances because there's a lot of debate about various details of the story and whether or not certain things were found or if certain things went missing. So this is kind of like a he said, she said situation between county police and the family. It's very interesting. And I've got theories. I've got suspects. You're, re- you're really going to sink your teeth into it. Like, it is fascinating what could have happened here. So, I'm not sure if the case spells county corruption, but there is definitely something about this that is very off. So, to give everybody a top line, hi, Creepers, for anyone who's not familiar with the Deborah Wolf case, Deborah Wolf was working as a nurse in 1985, and at just 28 years old, she went missing on a drive home from her job. Police were contacted by the following day, and they retraced her steps, which eventually brought them to her home where she passed, um, or where they passed, like, a small pond, like, on a trail. It was no more than five feet deep, very shallow water, and eventually those waters were searched with a scuba crew, and they found something in there that would ignite a lot of mystery around what really happened to Deborah, you know? Where did she go after she left work? So this is going to be a deep dive into some of the strangest circumstances around her disappearance, a very chilling discovery, and the potential that county police could have been involved in a very sinister cover-up. Any immediate thoughts? I find the cases where they have to get scuba divers to go into a body of water super fascinating. So I am... That's one of the scariest jobs I can imagine. Yeah. For, For me, that's so scary. Oh my God, just the thought of like stumbling upon something, but wanting to, but just seeing it in the water is so. (laughs) I can't even think about it. I can't even think about it. But I, 
Yeah, there, it was something about this whole story just didn't really add up to me. And I'm going to go through the timeline of the day of. And of course, I'll give you some backstory into who Debbie Wolf was. Because although there's a good amount of information on this case, surprisingly, because as we've come to learn, the police purged the records. They no longer exist. Um, what's strange is I couldn't find a lot of backstory on Debbie herself, hmm. which I thought was sort of strange. I know a little bit about her family. I know how many siblings she had, but there's kind of like a gap in time in her life where I couldn't find anything about who she was before she was 28 years old and she was living in North Carolina. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> this is going to be another one. Another one. She's got three brothers, lives in North Carolina. Baby. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, where Do you know where in North Carolina? Uh, she was living in Fayetteville. Oh, God. Is Fayetteville considered like a rough part of North Carolina? It's not. Oh, if there's any North Carolinian creepers. So Fayetteville used to be, this is terrible, um, but people used to call it Fayetteville because it's so. That's what I was reading. Yeah. Yeah. It's so kind of, it's like middle of the state. Like when I was in high school and we used to have to do cross country meets in Fayetteville, we would Mm -hmm. dread it. We were like, oh God, like it's just, it's. If there's any Fayetteville creepers, I honestly think that they would they would kind of agree that it's just it's kind of North Carolina. Oh, you know they're on the other end of this going talk your yeah th- baby. yeah talk it loud and proud, honey. That it's just kind of it's a there's not very like you know culturally rich town and actually like I feel like a lot of um there was like that flood that happened there a little bit ago like it just doesn't I feel like nothing like great really ha- gets to happen there all that often so. Um, well, it sounds like a middle of nowhere place, but I yeah. was more so concerned or I guess curious about the crime rates there. Is it considered a dangerous area or was it in the 80s? You know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it, my guess would be probably yes, because I feel like sometimes those middle of the state kind of towns, like I know Greensboro at one point had kind of a bad crime rate um oh really but, yeah that it's just it's not like you're in the mountains or the near the ocean where there's like i think a little bit more to do really i think that like crime kind of can manifest or uh yeah manifest a little bit faster sometimes in places like fayetteville so i don't know though i might be speaking out of my you know what but <laughs> i'm like do i know what <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, baby. Okay. Oh, you know. Well, we're going to get into all of it. I'm going to do a deep dive into a little bit of what we do know of Debbie's life. But before I do, I will just say, welcome back, you guys. Welcome back to Creep Time, the podcast with your hosts, Silas, Dean, and Stu. We are so happy. So, so happy to have you back. Do I hear sirens in the background? Is that you or me? I think it's me. Okay. that's Something's going on. And you're, you're under attack. They're far away, baby. You know it's always a motorcade or helicopters or sirens. or I don't get the ice cream, man. I just get... I know. Where is he? I've been waiting terror. on him. Yeah. What's his schedule these days? Nine o'clock? Um, I mean, yeah, uh, he still comes by. Yeah. He, no, he still comes. He comes by twice. He comes by around six and he comes by around 930. But now there's a, there's a few competitors. There's one that's like a proper ice cream ice cream truck, but it has a different song. It's like bum 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 bum. Yeah. New so anyway, new creepers. You're like, what's going on? Thanks everybody for stopping by. We're so appreciative that you came to hang out with us on a Friday. Please, please, please. We really, if there's any month to do it, you guys, this is the month. 
We do not want you to miss any of the new episodes that are going to drop this month. So make sure wherever you listen, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever that you follow or subscribe to the podcast, turn on the bell notification so you always get a notification when we have new episodes that drop on surprise. And I would also say that we are very, very appreciative. Before we got on, we were reading some messages and reviews. We're very appreciative of all of the positive reviews, all of your case suggestions on Reddit. Of course, this case is going to have pictures up on Reddit. So make sure to go check that out after the episode. But outside of that, I am good to jump in. I'm ready. I don't know if you are, honey. This is going to (laughs) be fast and furious, but let's get into some of the backstory first. And just, I'll go through a little bit of what we do know about Debbie Wolf. So Debbie Wolf, she was born in June of 1957 in Blytheville, Arkansas. So this was the part of like the gap that kind of confused me. I really wasn't sure like, okay, well, how do you go from Arkansas and then move up to like North Carolina, mm-hmm. I guess, where like you're settling down as an adult, but I think her brothers and her whole family also lived up there. Um, actually, let me find you a picture. I had pictures open and then I accidentally closed out of all of them. Girl, something is going on in the background. I hear it. <laughs> I like so like someone is something's should I look up the news? I love how you're more tuned in than I am because I feel like I am desensitized to it because I hear it all the time. It's, I just got I have ears like a hawk. Like you do. But I think what it is, I live pretty close to um one of the avenues where they drive the motorcade out a lot. And I swear mm. that's what it is. Here, I just sent you a picture. Okay. This is a shot of Debbie Wolf um, in her nursing uniform when she was just 28. Oh my God. Also reading the Fayetteville Observer as the sources. <laughs> I remember that paper. <laughs> oh, she's so, she looks so sweet and bright-eyed and is she in a nurse uh, that you said a nurse's yeah, yeah. outfit okay she, she was a nurse so like i said she grew up with three brothers um she had two older one younger she was the only girl and like i said there's not a ton that was publicly reported about her earlier years but what i do know is that she did have two parents growing up they divorced in 1970 and then her brother one of her brothers tragically died at 27 in 1982 but i could not find any further information as to how he died if it was an accident but really, her story is going to begin when she's 28 years old. She's living up in North Carolina. So Debbie was living on her own in kind of a secluded cabin that was roughly, it's like seven miles outside of Fayetteville, but still basically in the county, I would say. Mm-hmm. She's working there full-time as a nurse at one of the local veterans' homes. Um, and she was in charge, I think, of coordinating and supervising volunteers. That was like one of her tasks, right? She was described as extremely neat, very well organized, which will come into play a little bit later in the case. And she kind of kept her home and her space a certain way. You know, like she had a way that she liked to do things. She had a way she liked to organize her life. And even at 28, she was in a long-term serious relationship with her boyfriend. Although they did not live together, Debbie insisted on living all on her own in this cabin with her two dogs, who she loved more than anything. She was kind She was very mature for her age. She loved to help other people. So how does a young woman so seemingly far away from any sort of trouble that would be targeted to her go missing on a drive home? Hmm. So that is her backstory before we're going to jump into the timeline of the day she vanished. 
But any initial thoughts or questions on Miss Wolf? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The only thing I just thought of as you were talking, um, there is a major fort, I think, in Fayetteville or near Fayetteville. So when you said she worked at a veteran's home, and that's mm-hmm. not surprising to me. Um, I don't remember the name of the fort, though, but that was an interesting connection to make. I wonder if that was why they originally moved up there, because I think she definitely had military in her family, for sure. It might have been one of her brothers or something, because her mom lives up there at this point with like um, the stepfather by the time Debbie goes missing. Mm-hmm. What's really tragic about this case is like, before anything actually came of it, the whole family had passed away. Oh my God. Like, yeah. I mean, it was just because this happened in the eighties and then like years turned into decades. And since then her parents have passed, her brothers have passed. Mm. So there's really no one else to left to like advocate for her story, which is kind of why I wanted to like push everything else to the side when I was reading about it. And I was like, this is something we should we should surface because I don't hear this talked about very often and it's so strange. So maybe I should give you a little bit of the timeline for the day of. Go for it, baby. <coughs> oh God, I'm choking. <laughs> Let me get myself situated. Also, it just got <clears throat> so silent. I feel like the siren stopped and then like your side, it felt so like clear. And I was like, okay, this is real. I feel spirit or something. <laughs> So there's a shift. You can tell when there's like a tonal shift in the pod. So let's get into this timeline. And I'm going to go through everything that I could source. I went through all of the information I could find online about this. So the date that we're going to start with is actually the day after Christmas. It is December 26th, 1985. So Debbie had just spent the previous day with her mom and stepfather. They were celebrating the holiday. And on the 26th, she is back at work at the veteran's home by 8 a.m. Now, witnesses saw her during that day. They interacted with her. They got coffee with her. Totally fine. Very normal. Average first day back. There were also witnesses who saw her at the end of her shift walking from the building at exactly 4 p.m. She got in her car and people saw her drive off. This was the last time Debbie was ever seen alive after that day. So the following morning, Debbie reportedly did not show up for work, which was very unlike her. So immediately her family was contacted to make sure that she was okay, that something didn't happen. Her mom and stepfather, John and Jenny, um, and a friend, I think his name was Kevin Gordon, they ended up going to Debbie's home, which was this isolated cabin, like I said, about five to seven miles just outside of Fayetteville. Because Debbie was a particularly neat and meticulous person, They were surprised when they got there because what they found, Stu, was her home seemed very off. Hmm. Like, it was not the way that they would imagine, like, she had been living out there. Her car was parked in a different spot than it was usually parked from what they knew of where she parked in her driveway. There were also beer cans that were kind of scattered 
all around the property, outside. And according to her mother, it was a brand of beer that she had never seen her daughter drink. Her dogs, who she loved, were outside of the home, roaming freely in the yard. This is the winter. And they had not been fed. (sighs) They went inside the home. Her nursing uniform was found on the kitchen floor. And her purse had been shoved under her bed. Something seems off from the get-go. Like, this this is very weird to me, imagining this scenario. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, the first thing I was thinking was, like, you know, did she bring someone back to hang out? And, like, they started to take advantage of her or something? Or, like... I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I started visualizing oh you know, somebody. I think I have a picture. Hold on. Oh, I got really? a picture of the inside of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can find it. I started visualizing somebody like, you know, convincing her, like, let's just put the dogs outside. Like, you know, I'm, they're annoying me or something, you know, like, and then something went awry. Okay. But you know, what's so strange though, that I was reading about her nursing uniform that was found on the kitchen floor. Of, of course, like immediately when her mother found it, she was like, okay, Debbie would never like come in and just take off her uniform and just leave it on the floor. Like she's just, she's not that person. Mm -hmm. They found out later it wasn't even the same uniform she wore (gasps) to work that day. It was a short sleeve uniform and every witness who saw her and interacted with her earlier in the day saw her wearing a long sleeve uniform and they remembered it because they went out to coffee with her and they remembered she spilled a little bit of coffee on her uniform and had a stain. That uniform with the stain never been found they don't know where it is is that not freaky as hell i'm like trying to think of why she like is there a world where she was just like in such a rush trying to get back or trying to get to work that she tried on one uniform and then was like i don't want to wear this one and or wrong uniform and just like left it on the floor like but that seems so it's totally plausible i mean i'm guilty of that myself like when i get dressed for work like it's it's pandemonium i mean it definitely went against their image of Debbie because they saw her as a neat person, a meticulous person. She kept her space tidy. And it was also strange, the placement of it, to leave it in the kitchen. Oh my gosh, she really does live in a cabin. Like a log, yeah. like Lincoln log cabin. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Rough and tough lady. Rough and tough. Also, so is this, because Creepers, I'm looking at her bedroom and there's like nothing on the bed. The chair I was facing nothing about, in the yeah. closet. Like I maybe was this was after. About this. I, I think this was like a while after. Like once they had, I guess, quote unquote, secured the scene basically. And like they left her home in this state and maybe like took the, I don't know, the bedspread for evidence. But I can't imagine this was like how she kept her quarters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But allegedly this is a real shot from inside the cabin. It's just unclear how much time had passed when this was taken. Do you realize those are cement walls? The one, oh, yeah. on, the one on the right is cement. That is already, that's see, so yeah, it's like It's like cinder block. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like a cinder block wall. Me neither. It's dark. Well, it's dark, <laughs> but they come in, they find all of the strange stuff, right? The uniform, the purse shoved under the bed, the dogs are outside. Her mom's like, Something is wrong. Then they go to the answering machine and they notice there's a message there. It was recorded earlier that day and it was a male caller um, claiming that she had not been to work in several days. 
which was incorrect because she had been to work the previous day, right? She was there the 26th, but missing that night. So the Veterans Home was able to confirm that no one they knew who worked there had actually called from their staff to leave that message. So who was the mysterious man who left a message saying, hey, Debbie, it's it's so-and-so, your supervisor. Mm. You know, like, it's been a while since you've come in. You know, we just wanted to call and make sure you're doing okay. Let us know if you need anything, if we can call anybody for you. I could not find an actual recording of the message, but I could. I did find a transcript for it. So I'm going to read you the actual transcript. It's pretty short. Okay. So it reads, hey, Deb, missed you here at work today. I uh, just wondering how you're doing. Um, If you're able to give me a call up here at the ward I'm at, and then it's a phone number, um, or give me a call at home tonight. Uh, You've been out a lot of days. You make me worried when you miss another one. Just want to make sure you're okay. Bye. Person said several days. Several days. Several days and doesn't leave a name. Doesn't leave a name. Just said, give me a call up at the ward. That's implying that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's off. Something's something stinks through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there is something is corrupt. I don't know who knows what, but that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. This is why I'm bringing it to you. Cause I'm like, I need you to sleuth this mother out. (laughs) I'm ready. So two additional details that I wanted to surface and that the family actually called out upon their initial check of the home that I found really odd. Again, that uniform that was dropped, none of the colleagues recognized it. It was not what she was wearing. We know that for sure. So that's strange. Debbie was seen on the afternoon of the 26th, had the coffee stain that was also confirmed. And then the car, the car. So like I said, it was parked in an incorrect spot, right? It wasn't the spot that they knew Debbie to park her car. When they went inside, the mother noticed that seat is pushed all the way back, the driver's seat. Hmm. Debbie's five foot three. Five three, and she would have the seat up much closer to actually, you know, hit the wheel and the pedals. Who was driving the car? Because they were tall, whoever it was. Mm-hmm. This is this is feeling like a date gone wrong or something. But I mean, we don't really have any evidence of that because she had a boyfriend at the time. He's eventually ruled out, right? So it definitely could have been a thing of like infidelity or she's cheating, but it just seemed kind of out of character. But also, who would it have been? Right. Well, or maybe uh, I forgot she had a boyfriend, maybe somebody that she worked with or from the home that was like, let me, you know, like there was just kind of pushy. Cause like, remember back then it's like, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not way back then, but you know, people could get away with a lot more. So it's like, let me, let me give you a ride home. Like you've been on your feet all day. Like I'm just starting to like visualize somebody pushing themselves into her like space. Well, you know what it read as to me? I think you're right. But because her car was parked in a place that it wasn't normally, like her spot, it kind of told me that maybe there was a car that was already there. Like she arrived home and there's a car parked in her driveway. I mean, there's no cell phones or anything. She has to like maybe go inside. If she doesn't feel threatened, like go inside and be like, who is in my driveway kind of thing. But then what would, how would you explain the seat? Well, I actually, I don't know. I really don't. Because people saw her drive away on her own. Like she had nobody else in the car. The seat is a very strange thing, but like a lot of things could have happened overnight in that car. But I should keep going because there's so much more that we're going to uncover with this. It's insane. Now, initially from this report, 
the family go to the police. And despite all of these circumstances, North Carolina at the time, I don't know if they still have this, had a 72-hour rule when it came to reporting an adult as missing. 72 hours seems like a lot of time. That seems like a a long-ass time. There's a lot that can go down in 72 hours. People can leave countries in 72 hours. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's still a thing. I hope not. Yeah. So, especially under a circumstance like this, like if if I was an officer and people came to me with all these clues about like her uniform, the purse shoved under the bed, the dogs were outside, you could assume that something maybe went down. But then we get into this conversation about, okay, well, did police maybe know more than what they were letting on? Because the whole thing sniffs of county corruption. It really does. Hmm. So there's a little bit of time that goes by before police actually step up and they get involved. And the police search officially kicks off on Debbie's property, I think, the morning of Tuesday the 31st. So this is we're still in 1985. We haven't crossed the new year yet. Although they bring bloodhounds in, the bloodhounds are not able to trace virtually anything that could lead them to her whereabouts, which I thought was really weird. Jenny, the mother, um, had been very vocal about her disgust for the police work um, on her daughter's case because she described the search efforts as entirely disinterested, as lazy. And one additional detail um, that her mother brings up, she's very insistent upon this, is that they search any of the nearby bodies of water, specifically this pond that was not far off from Debbie's home, like on her property. It would be pretty unusual because the pond only went about five feet deep. It like it's deepest like it's even more it's like two feet deep at like the edge Mm. but nonetheless she was like can you search it now in a later statement captain jack watts who was working for the sheriff's department he was present at the search he claimed that the deputies believed that jenny had already looked in the pond which made virtually no sense to me i'm like you think she went this mother went down there with like a scuba suit like be for real um and this was the reason they said they did not search the pond themselves now according to the mother the police just refused to check the pond. So by the following day when they refused, Jenny actually went out and hired her own private diver to go check those waters. So this was Wednesday the 1st. This is New Year's Day, 1986. Debbie's mother, Jenny, brought in a family friend who had diving and search and rescue experience to get into the pond. Um, She reported that he went in, went into the water very slowly in his suit, And after about just two minutes looking at the surface um, down there, he found a set of what he described as footprints and drag marks in the sediment um, that had not been disturbed. So they'd been there. They were kind of fresh. He goes a little bit further, about three to five feet deep from the bank. And he finds deeper marks. And then he goes even further into the middle of the pond, um, about 30 feet in. It's still about five feet deep at max, where he finds... A body, partially <gasps> hidden inside a barrel, oh, a fifty-five-gallon oil drum. It was confirmed this was the discovery of twenty-eight-year-old Debbie Wolf stuffed inside of this barrel in this pond. <sighs> I need you to strap in for what is about to happen oh, in the next like twenty God. minutes. <laughs> I really thought you were going to say that there was nothing down there. I did not think we were going there. Okay, I'm ready. I yeah, <sighs> I tried to gatekeep the the reveal a little bit just to. To, I mean, the impact of this is insane because he, oh, God, that must be just like the worst thing in the world too to like, because you are searching for her, but to go down there and see her yeah, wedged in a barrel and have to come up from that water and the mother is standing right there yeah, at the, at like the edge at the bank and tell her she's there. She's down there. 
Also, just seeing, so seeing anything kind of unnerving underwater, I know I touched on that, I mean, is already so scary to me. Like, even when you see a yeah. scary, like, fish or something when you're in the ocean, like, can you, uh, uh, oh, God, the thought of seeing a body in a barrel is, oof. Yeah, she was reportedly pretty well-preserved, which was kind of strange because the water was so cold because it was December, so her body hadn't really decayed all too much, which eventually, according to the medical report, made it very difficult to determine when she actually died. Hmm. So this is the confirmed discovery. Police have been contacted. They come to retrieve the body. And of course, once they pull her out, she is positively identified as 28-year-old Debbie Wolf. So this is where everything gets strange on the part of police. Debbie is found by this diver, allegedly inside of a barrel. Now, the barrel actually matched the description of a barrel that was missing from Debbie's property. Her mother called it out because it was something that Debbie would often store, like, firewood in. Her mother even pointed out, like, a ring of dirt where the barrel once stood. So clearly it was moved and used by somebody to store Debbie's body in this pond. Now, after police came and retrieved the body, Jenny claimed that they told her the next day they would be coming back to raise the barrel and they just left it inside the pond. County corruption <laughs> comes. The next day, they do not come for the barrel, and it appears the barrel is missing from the pond. And then police deny in their report that there ever even was a barrel. She was just found, open, in that water. Debbie was just found in the pond. Huge what? point of contention. He, I mean, the diver saw the barrel, the mother saw the barrel. There's literally a ring in the dirt on the property of where the barrel once stood when it was in use. And now the barrel is missing. In one night, the barrel is missing. And police claim there never was a barrel. Oh, what the hell I'm do we make of that? I'm going to need to hear the logic behind this uh, as to how they cover this up. Because you Ooh. can't have multiple witnesses look at something and then try to pull the wool over them. She their eyes. She literally, she literally heard the police talking to each other, being like, "Oh, we're going to come tomorrow to raise the barrel out of the water. Like we'll come retrieve it tomorrow as evidence." So somebody took the barrel, and then somebody was covering for somebody's ass. Like I, I fully believe that diver saw what he saw, but eventually, totally. I think, I think what they claim, oh, my security thing is going off again. I'm freaking. <gasps> I'm freaking my shit out right now. <laughs> I'm also freaking out because I'm still, I'm doing what I do, which is keep staring at the photo. I'm moving to the, to the, back to the platform. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I think she was wearing, according to them, a jacket in the water. So eventually police, what their story is, they say, no, her jacket had like ballooned in the water. It was so saturated with, um, with liquid that it looked like a barrel that her legs were hanging out of. And this diver's like, it was five feet of water. Like, I, I'm not an idiot. Like, I'm not a, a cop, but like, I'm not an idiot. I do search and rescue. She was in a metal barrel. And they're like, no, that never existed. So it's their word against theirs. You can't. That's insane. That's insane. First of all, you can't. That that, that diver touched that object, I'm sure, to, to like see what it was. Like, he's not making oh, he, that he up. Knew he yeah. knew exactly what he. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I think if even if you had a sliver of doubt as that diver. You would never want to cause a family additional pain by putting them through, like, the mystery of, like, what was she found in? You know what I mean? Like, if there was any ambiguity where you're like, oh, you know, maybe I did, like, misremember that or I saw it differently or I was confused. He was not confused. He was very sure. He's like, no, there was a barrel. 
Oh my God. So that's where we're at. So the investigation kicks off and it is like shock after shock because of course, like a discovery like this, you're like, well, baby, it's foul play. Like it's foul play is foul play. An autopsy was performed the following day, Thursday, the 2nd of January, 1986 by Dr. William Oliver of the North Carolina Medical Examiner's Office. Debbie's official cause of death was ultimately reported as an accidental drowning with no physical signs of foul play. Family took a huge issue with this report because according to like the actual report that they were able to retrieve, only a teaspoon of water was actually found in her lungs. And yet she was described to have drowned. They also detailed in the report unexplained abrasions that were all over her fingers. And a tox report came back that showed zero drugs or alcohol in her system. Hmm. So what is this exact, what is the story that we're like propelling here? There's no barrel. So that's what they're saying. So they're saying that this is an accidental drowning where this woman, when she got home from work, took off her police or or, or nursing uniform, walked out to a pond near her property in the dark and just jumped into the water five, but it's only five feet deep and drowned. Not a chance. I mean, I don't anybody can drown it. in, you can drown in, you know, six inches of water or a foot of water. But I mean, th- the point is, you're not going to get yourself in a barrel and be, well, th- what I keep coming well, back Well, they're, they're not even conceding to the barrel. They yeah. don't even, like, acknowledge the barrel right. existed. So the, the official story they're putting out is that she, it was accidental because she was outside playing with her dogs when she got home from work. And while they were, which explained why the dogs were out there and explained why they weren't fed when they were found, she slipped maybe near the water of the pond, became disoriented when she like felt the shock of the cold December waters and just could never get herself out of the water. And she just drowned. The family is like irate over this because they're like, no way in hell are we going to allow you to like repaint her death mm-hmm. as an accident. You know what I mean? Or even like, intentional like nothing really pointed towards suicide or that she was trying to like jump in there on her own i mean people who jump in to drown themselves to take their lives it's it must be extremely uncommon i can't really imagine most people would do that well typically i mean they would have done something to make sure they don't come up you know yeah or i mean leave behind like anything leave behind a note like none of this read as like a suicide or uh, truthfully, none of it read as accidental to me either, but it gets even stranger, if you can believe it. So her mother is particularly devastated, of course, and she keeps the suspicions up that there is something going on here um, where there's corruption with police, there's corruption with whoever might have done this to her, and there might even be corruption in the medical examiner's office, which we've certainly seen in Georgia. Mm-hmm. She is then sent months later a collection of her daughter's clothing, the death clothing. It was the exact outfit that she was found wearing in the pond, allegedly. This was more than enough to convince her that she was getting got. The clothing she received that her daughter was allegedly wearing was not clothing she recognized. Debbie did not own any of these clothes, and the sizing was all over the place. So according to what this medical examiner's office sent this woman... It was a pair of brown corduroy trousers, which were too long and too big in the waist for Debbie's actual size. It was a bra that was like three or four sizes too big for Debbie. 
It was a pair of men's size six Nike sneakers, which were too big for her foot. And she was also dressed wearing an army field jacket with no name tag on it, even though she would wear those from time to time, but she would wear her brother's like field jacket. Um, It was still hanging in the cabin, so they don't know where this came from. And she was wearing a black Pittsburgh Steelers t-shirt, which nobody had ever seen her wear before. My first thought, I'm like, I don't think I ever saw anybody wearing a Steelers thing down in the south. So that discredits it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. Um, That is, can you imagine opening up that bag and just being like, this is absolute effery? Well, sir, I mean, that's the thing is like, she's looking at these clothes and she's trying to make sense of it. She was like, is it possible that I just, I've never seen her wear this, but like the sizing seems so off from like Debbie's actual frame. What was even stranger about it was the condition of the clothing, the clothing, which had allegedly, I mean, by the time they like find that body, this is like 72 plus hours or like maybe like four or five days even after the search started because they had to get the diver in there and then police So technically, all of those clothes had been underwater in this dirty, murky pond before it was exhumed after like four or five days. The clothes that she received were in pristine condition, mint condition, brand new clothing. And she even contacted the police department. She said, were these clothes washed? And they said, no. Even the shoes, brand new. It was like they were purchased for the intent of sending to this woman. That is so dark to think about. Oh, my God. It reminds me so much of the Kendrick Johnson case of, like, when his organs disappeared and you're like, sorry, sorry, come again. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Um, Also, the sneaker parallel is weird. Um, Oh, my God. Where the heck does she go with this? Because let me tell you, a Southern mom, I know she's about to lose her damn mind. Well, that's the problem is she's kind of like, there's a wall that's put up in front of her because we've talked about this before when you're sort of um, iced out from the police and you're iced out from the medical examiner's office and you've got an autopsy that's saying she drowned accidentally. Where do you go from there? I mean, she would keep her suspicions for decades and they would put forward that something else happened to Debbie. And for whatever reason, the people in that town and the cops in that town want to keep it quiet. And they wanted to close the case because they closed that case very quick. And this is what burns my ass. And you are going to lose your mind. Part of the reason that Jenny could not actually continue to pursue this case further than where it went was that after they got the autopsy report that Debbie died of a drowning, accidentally drowned, the police closed the case and they purged the files. The whole thing was destroyed. So what we are left with now, decades later, now that the whole family has passed and this story is still unresolved, is how do we explain what happened to Debbie that night? Let me, how you doing? I was going to say, let me <laughs> tell you my... the image that I keep coming back to after you told me that there was no drugs or alcohol found in her system. To mm-hmm. me, the beer cans everywhere reads mm. like somebody... I- didn't even think about that. Somebody I did not even think about got it. themselves like drunk enough to like go ahead through with this or got themselves drunk enough in her presence and was kind of lecherous like the, the beer cans and then also the dog thing. I, I always come back to the dogs, but like if it was an accident, 
those dogs would have been going ballistic if she just like all of a sudden fell into the water and couldn't get out or something. What's weird too is the bloodhounds that came on the scene apparently didn't find anything. But I have my suspicions about police on like all sides of this. So I I don't want to say that the dogs weren't able to do their jobs. I think maybe they might have been prevented from doing their jobs for whatever reason. I cannot make sense of why police want this story to go away. Well, it's a small I mean, Fayetteville is already small enough. If she lives outside of Fayetteville in that tiny little cabin, I mean, she's gotta be somewhere super rural where like everybody knows everybody. Right. I mean, I hell, mean, it could have even been a cop. Well, okay, so here's where we get into some of the suspects and some of our our theories on this. Now, there are two men that I wanted to focus on that I could dig up some stuff on in Debbie's life that I think posed a potential threat to her. Both of them were volunteers at the hospital, young men. Mm. They were, again, under Debbie's like supervision because part of her duty, she was coordinating the volunteers, which would lead to interactions with these two men. The first man I was able to dig up, I couldn't find his name because if I had his name, I'd be able to see if he was related to a cop in that town. But he had a history of psychiatric illness was what was described. He also had Debbie's phone number for home and he would try to phone her frequently. So it kind of sounds, everything I was piecing together, he was romantically interested in Debbie and she was not returning, returning any of that because she was in a relationship. So... He's eventually questioned by police, um, I think, on the very night they found the body. Because, of course, they went back and talked to everybody, I guess, who was, like, in her work circle. He provided an alibi, which seemed credible at the time, but coincidentally left the state a few days later and did not return. (sighs) Isn't it always that it comes back? I've got my feelings. uh, It always comes back to... I mean, I know that like snapped on oxygen exists for a reason and like all those shows that it's always, you know, Mm -hmm. either the boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. But this from the jump spelled out to me, somebody was really interested in her and she was she was uh, not reciprocating. Yeah. And yeah. And he had her address, too. It wasn't just her phone number had her address Mm -hmm. because he would often call her. And he would like, he would be drunk. The whole thing seems so obvious to me. And I'm like, how is this guy's name not publicly out there? That's insane. Right. I guess he would like call her when he was like drinking too much. And he'd be like, Debbie, just one date kind of thing. Or he'd be like, you know what? He's like, I'm going to come over. I'm going to come over. I'm going to convince you to come date me. But here's the other thing too is like, okay, well, this is painting the story of like foul play. This is a guy who's pursuing her. She does not want him. He could, he could try to harm her. He could try to. He eventually kills her, but she had no marks on her to indicate foul play. So says the medical report, if we're to believe that that doctor was honest. That's, I I highly doubt that. Highly doubt he was honest. Well, no, that she would, wait, so were you saying he, there were no marks on her? That's what they said in the medical report. There were no, no marks that could indicate foul play. Well, I mean, unless, well, no, but you said she wasn't drugged. Like how, how did, how would they possibly kill her? Could have been a joint effort because here's the thing too. It wasn't just one guy. There was another guy, a second man who was also friends with this guy, constantly asking Debbie out Hmm. on a date and was rejected each time. 
So he is thought to have maybe been the man who might have left that eerie voice message where he's like, hey, Debbie, you haven't been to work for a few days kind of thing. Like it clearly had to be somebody who would like maybe know her through the veterans home and Mm -hmm. like know her work schedule. I think that made sense to me. Oh, totally. From I'm telling you from the beginning, I've thought it's got to be somebody that she works with or is uh, somebody that's close to her constantly that would have the ability to you know, have a crush on her or fall in love with her or something who knows she has a boyfriend. But my question is, is like, what do these two men have that would, I don't know, enlist like a full police force County to protect them? Who do they know? Well, a part of me was thinking that, that, you know, sometimes there's the camaraderie. I don't know if these guys happen to be veterans themselves or like, there's sometimes that camaraderie that if you, have served in any way that there's like a protection sometimes. I mean, I have no idea. I'm just spitballing here, but um No, but I mean that's that's a good point too. I mean it's it's good to get yourself in like the headspace of like, well, why would a cop cover for this? You know, I was yeah. thinking it I, I was trying so hard to get the names of them because I was gonna try to see them like, is there any like through line here of one of these kids being related to like local law enforcement? Mm-hmm. But I mean it seems like there'd be a high probability of that. How many local jobs are there? outside of being a cop. Well, here's the thing. In a small town, you don't even need to be related. You can just be, <laughs> you can just like have- So-and-so's uh, like kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like your friend's kid. Yeah. yeah. But here's my thing. Because she had no actual marks on her, I think it's possible maybe it was a joint effort to like restrain her and hold her head underwater mm-hmm. and drown her that way. But that still doesn't really make sense though. I got to- I got to correct myself because they only found a teaspoon worth of water inside her lungs. That's not enough to drown you, but they claimed that she drowned. And what was also strange was that the the initial diver, when he found her, he said her eyes and her mouth were closed, which a lot of medical examiners have weighed in on to say oftentimes in a drowning, there's a lot of like final like agitation, you know, where like your body's starting to like flail and panic. Most people who do drown, they are found with their mouths open and they are found with their eyes open. Mm -hmm. It's very rare to see someone, a drowning victim, with their eyes closed and their mouth closed. But how do we explain how she died then? (sighs) Smothered, maybe? Yeah, I was thinking, I was like strangulation, but no, no way, because you would totally see that on that. You said there were minor abrasions on her hands. Her mother, her mother found that mother. when she got a copy of the autopsy report. The mother said there were little mini, like, yeah, abrasions all over her hands that went unexplained. Which, that, to me, that indicates that she was, like, restrained in some way, maybe by her hands, like, tied or something. Um, oh, yeah. Or, like, defensive wounds. Like, yeah. You get cuts on your hands when you're, like, trying to, like, block off someone with a knife or something, some kind of weapon. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like suffocation would really be – I'm trying to think of other ways – what are other causes of death that are go kind of your body goes like unscathed? You know, I was trying to research that last night and I I had to stop myself because if people see my like search history sometimes, I'm like, <laughs> how to kill somebody without like leaving a mark on the body, sort of thing. But it's truly for research purposes. Baby, but- we know you're on multiple lists. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like sending me to like a hotline and it's like, if you're suffering, please call this number. <laughs> <laughs> it started to trickle down to me too. <laughs> Yeah, but I I was trying to look that up because I was trying to think of the same thing. I was like, well, I think you either have to drug somebody or you have to very carefully 
smother someone without like with like properly restraining them you know like you don't want to leave marks on the body i guess it's the only thing i could imagine but again this is all contingent that we are to believe that initial medical report that examination was that accurate Mm. or is he covering for somebody too she could have also been poisoned and that just was covered up I think they would have found it in the talk screen, though, when they were looking for like any drugs and alcohol. Yeah, they definitely unless would. It, well, unless but it unless was they a, well, it unless up. it was a poison. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, if if it's a cover up, then like the body could have looked any which way. We yeah. just don't know. Yeah. Well, Jenny, the mother, did maintain for basically the rest of her life until the day she died that she really, really believed that her daughter had been abducted by at least one, if not both, of those men, and was possibly kept alive for several days. So the mother actually insisted that their initial search of the home, Debbie may not have been in that pond at that point. Really? Yeah. She thought that it was possible that Debbie might have been abducted from her home and was maybe taken by these men. And the other thing, the huge like pain point that she had with like the investigation was that the examiner never did a rape kit to mm-hmm. test for any like seminal fluid or like any signs of you know, aggressive sexual assault that had gone down in those days that she wasn't found. Well, that would make sense. So you're saying like they came and dumped the body after the initial search? Yes. See, that would make sense as to why the bloodhounds wouldn't pick up anything. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I feel like it's coming together kind of thing. Like someone was definitely involved. The beer cans, no alcohol in her system. The bloodhounds come, they can't find any trace of her on the property but then like a few days later this diver comes and suddenly there's a body at at the base and the thing is like like i said they could not tell how fresh or how long she had been dead you know like how it could have been that she was alive up until the the night before she Mm. was placed in that pond oh my god don't say that i hope that i just wonder well what i wonder what is the deal like with the barrel like why was the barrel involved in the first place Well, I guess because they wanted to, A, conceal her, but B, I bet it was heavy enough that it would keep her down. It had to be. that. I mean, it was an open barrel. They didn't, like, close the top of of it or anything. Yeah. So the diver, when he went down there, he described first finding the metal barrel, and he could just see her, like, pale legs hanging out of it. Oh, my God. It's chilling. There's only one other avenue here that I wanted to explore, which was the quick topic of police corruption. So as Debbie's death was labeled an accident, like I said, all police records in this investigation were purged after the case was closed. And nobody really knows why. I don't think that that's standard practice, but according to these cops, it was, you know, just to make room because it was an accidental drowning. Another point of contention here that we should talk about when it comes to police corruption and their potential involvement is the clothing. Now, The diver, when he first went down, he did not raise the body, but he was the first to technically see the body. He actually remembered the body being close to, if not entirely, nude underwater. I was just thinking that. So again, this became like another thing of like his word against the cops because the cops were like, no, when we pulled up the body, she was wearing um, a big jacket, you know, which is what you probably saw that you thought looked like a barrel. And he was like, no, I think I saw a barrel, and I think I saw this girl in there nude. I mean, and what? I, I mean, my gut immediately told me that she 
was most likely like sexually assaulted in some way. And who, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think these guys. Also, when you said the uniform was found in the middle of the room, I thought, okay, somebody made her undress. Like all of everything is just too kind of. I think it was staged. The uniform struck <sighs> me as staged. Hmm, okay. Placed on the kitchen floor because it's not the same uniform she was seen wearing the day she went missing. Right. So it's and again we don't know where that uniform went. So if we are to believe this story that police put forward, she came home, put a short sleeve nurse uniform just on the kitchen floor, took off her regular nurse uniform and hid it somewhere where it has never been found. Shoved her purse under her bed let her dogs outside, and then she changed her clothes into very big pants, men's shoes that were several sizes too big, a bra that was several sizes too big, this t-shirt, this big jacket without a name tag, and then wandered out to the pond and just fell in, dove in? Like, what is the story? Not in the middle of December. I just don't think it's... It's ever, it's happened. I just don't think it's, none of it feels plausible that it was accidental. No, not, not uh, also, I mean, this is crazy. Cause it's like, there's so many things that are wrong with the picture, like the freaking car, the seat being all the way back. I know there being two men at her place of work that were interested in her. I mean, the whole thing just smells like somebody offered her a ride home or insisted that they give her a ride home for some reason. And, or met her at her house. Yeah. Or Am- ambushed her. Mm-hmm. They could have been, I mean, the beer cans to me, I was building a story in my mind that they were hanging out there. Yeah. Getting drunk for a while, like waiting for her to pull up in the driveway. <sighs> oh, well, that's funny you say that. Cause I was actually thinking when um, the whole, like maybe she had changed into uh, just going off of like the devil's advocate, but like, changing into mm-hmm. an outfit with that's like more relaxed like a t-shirt and a jacket the possibility maybe that she was like okay maybe i'll just hang out with these guys for a little bit and they'll i'll be nice oh, and like maybe she they'll go the away idea yeah maybe yeah. she had them over and like entertained them like trying to be a good friend or something trying to be nice and then it just went horribly wrong she might have even been scared and was trying to like control the situation mm-hmm. but just had no idea that it could turn lethal you know what i mean because like these seem like creepy guys. And now there's two of them. They're at her home. She lives in the middle of nowhere and they're drunk on her property. And they've got her dogs outside, it looks like. Yeah. She might try to like diffuse that situation. And then one bad thing led to another. And before you know it, she's either captured and she's off the property or she's killed that night. My only thing is like there is some through line here to the police. I can guarantee you. Allegedly, I can guarantee you (laughs) that there is some tie in where like it's somebody's kid or it's somebody's brother's kid or like a friend. Like there is some reason that police treated this case the way they did. And I really believe the medical examiner could have been in on it, too. And I know people always say they're like, don't question like the integrity of the examiner. And I'm like, and why the fuck not? Yeah. (laughs) Why would I not? (laughs) The, The thing also is that. She is kind of that textbook true crime story where it's like all hands on yeah. deck. We have to find what happened to this pretty girl. Like, and that definitely spells out something that they were like, okay, we'll just sweep this under the rug. Yeah. Open, open and close case. Yeah. Accidental drowning in December. 
my ass. Yeah. <sighs> but Stu, that's really all I got. Oh my god. Was that isn't that crazy that that story still stands to this day as unsolved? I feel like I know her. Like I know I keep like staring at this picture of her, but she has such like promise in her eyes and face. Like she looks like a genuinely just nice, happy person. I could see her being here I go reading into everything, but I could see her being like, yeah, you know, if you want to like drive me home, but you know, my boyfriend's coming over later. Like I could just see her being kind of a sweet, like Southern chick, like trying to just go along with it and ends up getting herself in a predicament where somebody gets forceful and she like, can't figure out a way out. I know. I've, I know what you mean. I'm mostly just curious about what happened after that. Cause I can, I'll concede to, to all of that. I can totally believe that scenario. Yeah. But how did she die? God, I mean, we re- we really would have to like look up. God, I wish there was more context about the crime scene like inside or like the house inside. Like if this picture. I mean, guess who did the in- like the intake? Right, right. The County. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> County. They don't know which way is up. They don't know if a shutter is open or closed. So like most of this is really coming from what the mother found. And then the police, I think, really went out of their way to try to discredit her, and which was really messed up. Like, they went into, like, the press, and they were like, she's a distraught woman who's, like, you know, she's looking for things. So she's speaking about things as if they're fact and they're not fact. But I I don't think that she was uh, reaching really all that far. Like, this is a strange situation, and it should be treated as such. I just feel, I feel awful and I felt awful researching it because like the top line of this, they state that there's nobody left to advocate for her because all of her family has died. So if there was some place where I'd like to see this case go, for one, I would like the names of the suspects, especially the one who left the state Mm -hmm. after he was questioned. Uh, By the way, they also, both of them, they did not agree to take polygraph tests, denied, denied that, (laughs) said, no, we're not doing that. And then left the state. (laughs) So you tell me what's up. Yeah. I would like to see those names released. And I would also, as harrowing as it is, I really, really believe this is a case where exhuming the body, even at this point, would be very helpful. Yeah. Would tell a story. Yeah. I mean, you can, uh, it's tough to, you know, see for a body that's like 20, 30 years old with decay, but I think that they would be able to find some new insights, maybe like fractures or something, a dislocated wrist. Maybe there's something in there that we can find that would tell a part of the story that we haven't heard. Gosh, I also wish there were more like witnesses that could come forward and talk about like any sort of harassment that she might've experienced at work or like if they knew of anything or if her ex-boyfriend had heard her talk about guys at work, you know? I know, I know. That's that's like what was strange about it was like looking up the backstory of Debbie, like all the meat of the information is really of her actual disappearance and then discovery, like her previous years, her true backstory. It's a little fuzzy. Yeah. Well, and let me tell you the other thing. Whoever- Tell me, baby. I'll tell you. Whoever <laughs> did this to her, I think has gone to her house before or followed her there before because- Absolutely. That cabin is super small and isolated and 
they whoever it was knew where she lived and knew it would be easy to get away with this. I get like peeping tom vibes. Oh god, like, don't might, say might, that. <laughs> like might have been might have been spying on her cuz oh. I mean that's a remote cabin yeah. and like clearly she's got these two creeps that are interested in her and are pursuing her and are relentless have her home phone number, have her address, made it known to her that they had her address. I could totally see a scenario where they would like do something creepy and they would look through her windows. Baby, if you say peeping tom again, in the next, Maybe, like, what do you think the next episode is going to be? I'm like, if you say it again in the next like <laughs> three upcoming episodes, like I'm going to be unwell. Like my something about the peeping tom thing absolutely unnerves me. Peeping is so heinous, heinous, so heinous and scary. Oh god! And you can feel it too, which is yes. what's scary. Human have that like extra sense where you can almost feel when there are eyes on you from afar. Unless they're in the damn porta potty, I can feel that too. <laughs> that 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 story was, as you would say, out of pocket for you to throw that at me that one day. Had to, it uh, had to be told. Had to be told. Oh I mean, maybe we'll God. save that. We'll save porta potties as their own thing for after dark. Yes. as like an extension to public restrooms. But oh. Stu, I want to thank you for listening to this case, Creepers. I want to thank you for listening to this case and going down the rabbit hole with us because this is a really interesting story that I feel like isn't told very often. Yeah. Debbie Wolf. Thank you for I have high telling hopes that for to it. me. That was that was um yeah, I just that I felt very connected to that. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like there's so much that's like handed to us on a plate. Yeah. And it feels like the parties that were in place at the right time and the right moments who were there, County did everything they could to avoid it, to avoid what was so obvious. And I want to figure out why. I'm unsettled by it. I'm going to tap friends of mine that I knew grew up in Fayetteville. Oh my God. Mine them for <laughs> I mean, this, answers. This might be a bit of like local lore. I was yeah. so crazy. I was trying so hard on Google Maps to find the cabin. I really wanted to find you pictures of like the cabin today because I wanted to like give myself a, like an image of like what the land is like, like how far away from her property, from her yard is this pond. Mm-hmm. I think I do have a picture of the pond. Maybe I can send it to you. Ooh. Hold on. Yeah. Well, I looked a little bit deeper at the cabin photo you sent me and I do see like, you know, another cabin in the distance, but like I Ooh. cannot imagine living out here as a woman alone. Uh, yeah. Well, here's like the thing too movie. is like, you know, that barrel that she was found in. Yeah. Like, well, if it, if it existed, Apparently, she would use that for target practice. So she had a gun. Like she was like a, she was armed. Mm. She was ready to like, you know, keep her and her dog safe if she needed to. But again, I think that this was a stakeout situation where like she showed up and she was ambushed in her own home. Oh, wow. Okay. This was a big pond. Yeah. But the thing, here's what's weird about it is like the edge of that pond, it's like two feet deep and it stays that way for like, yeah, super shallow. The deepest part is five feet, and that's 30 feet into the water, and that's where she was found. So it's like she was like in the middle of it. So, uh, yeah, well, somebody, I guess, swam her out there within the barrel and then, or just, I, or threw it out. Like, that's crazy. How yeah. did they get it like, that two, far like, out? I don't know. I have no idea. Two guys with her in the barrel. She's only 5'3. They just like, do like a big toss. I mean, what they do think is that, um, remember the, the, the first diver, he found drag marks and footprints in the shallow part. So oh, I right. think, I think they dragged her in, in that barrel 
And then I think it just slid down in like the sediment to the center of the pond, to like the deepest where it like sloped inward. Okay, that's the other thing. I totally forgot about the freaking footprints in the sediment. Mm-hmm. It all Again, adds conveniently, up. Yeah. Conveniently um, omitted from the official police report. Oh, my God. Fascinating. If there's any episode to say it, I would say you cannot Not trust, trust county, county, honey. baby. I'm like, what county is this in North Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> no I don't even want to know. They've got they've got someone they're protecting, and I'm sure of it. But thank you again for listening. Thank you to the creepers once again. I know this was a a tricky case to get through, but this is one that I have like an odd glimmer of hope for that I really think we could see something to come from it in like the next decade or so if we keep talking about these stories. But for now, I will catch everybody on the next one. Stu, shall we say it? Goodbye. And good luck. I think it's the first time I said good luck. I know, I know. I was like, I'm going to jump the gun and and make you say good luck. (laughs) You just blew my eardrum. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I was like, I think that's the first time I said good luck. And you went, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I got excited. I got excited for you. Okay. I will see you on the next one, guys. Bye. Hi, creepers.